If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Once you find your place there in Matthew 28, would you pray with me? Father, You know my weakness. You know all of my failures. You know how badly I need to be reminded of Your Gospel each and every day. Lord, I ask this morning that not because of me, but in spite of me, that You would do something with this sermon this morning. That You would build up Your church, that You would help me, Lord, all for the goal of growing closer to you and making your son more clearly seen in this church. Lord, would you help us? Would you help me? In Christ's name, amen. America's doctrine of ecclesiology, that is, our understanding of what the church is called to do and be, is sorely weak. It is terribly lacking. People think that the church is supposed to be an entertainment hall. That the church is supposed to be something that looks like a nightclub. That the church is supposed to be something that could be comparable to a carnival. That the church is simply to be a place where you come to feel better about yourself. A place where you come to be told that all your worries of life will be taken away. Just trust in Jesus and all of your financial desires, all of your blessings that you've ever desired in life will be yours. Just name it and claim it. Our understanding of what the church is is terribly weak. And because of that, we need to go to the Word and allow God's Word to shape for us and form for us what it means to be a part of the local church. And this morning, on a a Sunday that we have set aside for Membership Sunday, I want to talk to us this morning from God's Word on what is a church member. What does it mean to be numbered among the church membership? Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. If we allow the world to give the church its cues on what is right and wrong, on what church membership is and isn't, we are in serious trouble. And that's the day we find ourselves in, that the church is trying so hard to look like the world that's barely recognizable as being a church. But in passages such as 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the church is called to be set apart, to be holy, to be different from the world. Dr. John MacArthur said of church membership, quote, When an individual is saved, he becomes a member of the body of Christ. Because he is united to Christ and the other members of the body in this way, he is therefore qualified to become a member of a local expression of that body. To become a member of a church is to formally commit oneself to an identifiable local body of believers who have joined together for specific divinely ordained purposes. These purposes include receiving instruction from God's Word, serving and edifying one another through the proper use of spiritual gifts, participating in the ordinances, and proclaiming the gospel to those who are lost. In addition, when one becomes a member of a church, he submits himself to the care 
and the authority of the biblically qualified elders or pastors that God has placed in that assembly. And so in other words, if we were to boil that down to one sentence, the church exists, although it might exist for other purposes and other reasons, the church exists for this one ultimate and primary reason, to give glory to the God who has saved the members of the church. We are here not just as individuals, not just as individual member, individual uh, persons, but we are here as members of one body, one body that exists to make much of Christ. This morning I want to look together at six defining marks of what a church member is. And so if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to write these down. There are six marks of a healthy church member. Normally I would go through one passage of Scripture and preach on that passage. But this morning, I want to very quickly hit these six marks of a healthy church member. But before we get there, I want to issue a word of warning. Before we get into these six marks of a healthy church member, I would issue a word of warning about any discussion on church membership. Church membership no more saves you than being a gym member automatically makes you lose weight. You may have a gym membership, but if you don't attend, if you don't actually participate, you're not much of a member. In the same way, church membership is not what saves us. You may have your name on the church membership roll, but if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then what is written on the church membership roll means nothing. Church membership is saying that you already have membership in the kingdom of God. And so if you claim to be a member of the church, you must first be a member of the family of God. And that happens not by having our name written somewhere a long time that you belong to such and such church, but it is that you are justified in Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 tells us that we are justified as a gift by His grace, by God's grace through the redemption of which is in Christ Jesus. And so we are not saved by having our name added to the role of a particular church. We are saved by and through the grace of Jesus Christ being poured out upon us, making us new from within, and then we become a member of a church. But we can't put the cart before the horse and pretend that church membership is what saves. Church membership is an expression of our salvation that God has wrought within us. Jesus and Jesus alone is our salvation. He's not a means to an end as though salvation were somehow the end goal and Jesus were just the bridge to get us there. But Jesus is the prize. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you come to Jesus expecting from Him something other than Himself, you've come to Him for the wrong reasons. If you've come to Jesus just for the expectation of getting your name on the church membership roll, that, that way you can have a cemetery plot out in the church, the church cemetery once that day comes for you, you've come to Christ for the wrong reason. We come to Christ in humble submission to Him because we love Him. And so as a prerequisite to church membership, we must first be saved in Christ. And so any discussion on what a church member is or isn't must always be, be uh, front-loaded with a warning that church membership is not what saves. Jesus saves. Jesus and Jesus alone saves. 
getting into our marks of what a church member is. Number one, here in Matthew 28, we see that members sinned. Members sinned. Look with me at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here in Matthew 28, 16-20, Jesus gathers His disciples together to communicate a mission statement. Every company, church, or organization must start with a good mission statement. What are we doing? Where are we going? What do we hope to accomplish? How will we get to where we're going? And Jesus here communicates with abundant clarity what the mission statement of the church is to be. Making and training disciples. If the church is not about this, if the church is not about making and training disciples, seeking the lost and seeing that they are saved by the grace of God, then the church has lost its focus. We must be a church that is focused on seeing the lost saved. On seeing those who are enemies of God made to be the very family members of God by His grace. We are to be a sending church. First, we make it our goal as a church to reach the unreachable and love the unlovable. In verse 19, he says, Go, therefore. Not just wait around and wait for people to come, twiddling your thumbs, saying, I don't know why the church isn't filling up. But go. Go. Go do something in your community. Go reach people with the gospel. We have the gospel. Now bring it to people. Yes, encourage people to come to the church. Encourage them to come and hear the word preached. To come and listen to the singing and be a part of the prayer. Come and invite them to come and see what God is doing here at Mount Carmel Baptist Church. But more than that, go. Go. Send and be sent for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in verse 19, it doesn't just say go. It says go therefore. That's a word that we often overlook here in the Great Commission. Go Therefore, this word therefore is connecting us back to verse 18. That should clue us in that we need to look back up a verse. In verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Based upon the fact that Jesus is who He is, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus has all authority here on, heaven, here on earth and in heaven, that all things in creation belong to Him and were given their being by Him, go based on that. Go not based on your own strength. Go not based on how many Scripture references you know. Go not based on the fact that you've gone to college and have a seminary degree. Go not based upon the fact that God has called you to preach. Go simply based upon the fact that Jesus has commanded it. And that Jesus, going down to the next verse in verse 20, promises to be with you. Go knowing that Jesus is the one who sent you, and Jesus is the one who will go with you. That should be encouraging to us, that we're not just told to go, but we're told to go knowing that Jesus goes with us. That's encouraging to me. Second, we're called to make disciples. 
This means that we should be bent toward reaching the lost. Church members should have a deep desire to reach those who do not yet know Christ. But to make a disciple does not simply mean to see someone across the line of salvation. Simply to see them come to Christ and make a profession of faith. But a disciple is someone who follows someone. Someone who listens to the teaching of another. Someone who submits themselves to another. Someone who obeys another. To make disciples is not just to make people who have punched their get out of hell free card. But to make disciples is to say that we are to go and proclaim the gospel to people so that they will be saved, yes, but then that they will continually walk with the Lord. And so in other words, we don't just simply want to see them cross the line of salvation, but we want to then walk with them along life's way. We then walk the straight and narrow path with them, helping them along the way, teaching them, pointing them to Jesus all along the way. Third, I'd be a really poor excuse for a Baptist if I didn't draw out that we're also called to baptize. And look with me in verse 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Baptizing those who have made a profession of faith. This is why we call it believer's baptism. There are two different types of baptism. There's pedo-baptism and credo-baptism. Pedo-baptism is the baptism of infants. Credo-baptism is the baptism of believers. This is one of the primary texts from which we get the idea that we baptize believers. We baptize those who have been raised from death unto newness of life as a symbol of them going down into the water and being raised unto newness of life as Jesus went down into the grave and came up for the salvation of our souls. We are to baptize disciples. We are to baptize believers as a symbol to the church and to the watching world that this person has been made new, has been cleansed by the grace of God. And then we are to teach them, verse 20, to teach people to observe all that God has commanded us. Again, we are to walk with them. We are to send and be sent. Members, send. The second mark of a healthy church member is that members submit. Members submit. There are two forms of discipline in the world, formative and corrective. Formative discipline seeks to build within someone a right character, whereas corrective discipline seeks to pull a person who is strayed aside back into the narrow path. And both are needed. Both formative and corrective discipline are needed. Both are biblical. In Psalm 119, we see formative discipline. That, that, that David cries out to God saying, Teach me and still in me your word. Teach me your word. Help me not to stumble. Help me not to stray. And then in Matthew 18, we see an example of corrective discipline. What do we do when someone does go astray? We help to bring them back. Church members are called upon to submit themselves unto godly leaders whom God has placed over His people to be their shepherd. These leaders are referred to by many different terms in the Bible, such as shepherd, elder, pastor, leader, or overseer. But these shepherds, these leaders of the local church, are called upon to submit themselves to God. And so the leadership doesn't stop with the pastor. The leadership stops with Christ. Christ is the head of the church. He is our leader. 
And so if your pastor or your deacons or whoever has been placed over the church to oversee and shepherd the church and guide the church through the days ahead, whoever that is, if that person is leading you astray, you have every right to say, get back to the Word. Get back to the Word. Because Christ is the head of the church. Go with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Romans 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which are exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will, be, will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, is a, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. In Romans 13, we see the call for people to submit to those whom God has placed over them as their shepherd. We see in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, that it is God who places leaders in authority. That it is God who raises up leaders. It is God who places them where He would have them to be. But then in Hebrews 13, we see that God calls shepherds to submit themselves to the good shepherd who is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For... Here's why. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews tells me as a pastor, me as a shepherd of this church, is that I will give an account for every word I preach. I will stand before God on the day of judgment, giving an account for whether or not I got His Word correct. I will give an account for whether or not I led you well, for whether or not I shepherded you with great care, or whether or not I shepherded you just to draw a paycheck at the end of the service. I will give an account. And beloved, that is what keeps me awake at night. When I pray for you, that's what I'm praying about. I'm not primarily praying that God would bless you financially. I'm not primarily praying that God would give you all of your hopes and dreams. That way you can fill the American dream. I'm praying that God would be with you in your spirit. That God would encourage you as a Christian. That God would build you up for the sake of His kingdom. That God would help me to shepherd you well and to preach His word well. I will give an account. And so the only authority that I have over the local church is the authority that is within the Word of God. And so I preach the Word of God and I say, commit your life to it. Not commit your life to me. Not follow me, but follow the Word of God. Follow the one who I follow. I'm just somebody else who's saying, follow the one I follow. He's the one to follow, not me. Follow Jesus. I'll give an account to Him. Members submit. That Mark... Of a, of a healthy member, number three, is members' supply. Unfortunately, one of the things for which many pastors will be called to the stand to give an answer for when they do answer to God 
for how they cared for the church is how they spoke of and handled finances. Members are called to give of tithes and offerings to the church, but these tithes and offerings are not intended to support a lavish lifestyle of the preacher or preachers, but they are intended to support the mission of the church. We see so many so-called churches today who take up an offering every time the church doors are open. That way the pastor can live a lavish lifestyle. That's not the purpose of tithes and offerings. The purpose of tithes and offerings is to support the church. The money given to the church belongs to the church, not to the pastor, not to the treasurer, not to the deacon board, not to the longest standing members of the church body, to the church body as a whole. And members supply. Things cost money. Heat and air costs money. Lights and electricity to run the soundboard costs money. Updates and housekeeping for the church building costs money. Special events and outreach opportunities costs money. Pouring into the youth and the children of the church costs money. Filing state and federal documents as the church is required to do and it's about that time to do it costs money. Sending missionaries to four countries for the purpose of preaching the gospel in places that are unreachable by us costs money. And so we give not for the purpose of one person living lavishly, but for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My dad says it often at the church he pastors that every time we paint a wall, every time we pull up carpet and put new carpet down, everything that we do in the church is for the purpose of seeing lost souls saved. Every dime that we put in the offering plate is for the purpose of building up the church and helping the church fulfill its mission. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, if you'll turn with me there. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So just to give us an understanding of what's happening here, the people are bringing all of their proceeds, everything that they have to give, and they're giving it to the apostles. And the apostles, or the pastors of the church at that time, aren't saying, oh good, money for me. The apostles are giving it out to the people who need it. They're giving it to the poor. They're seeing the gospel move forward. This man Barnabas gives all that he can give. But here in chapter 5, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. God did not strike down Ananias and Sapphira because they didn't give every last penny they had. It wasn't because of that that God struck them down. 
It was because they were harboring resentment toward God and His church in their heart. And rather than giving to the church freely, they said, I want to keep this for myself. And so when God gives us excess, we are called upon to give it to the church, to give it to those who have need. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says that each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so in other words, we're not going to set a certain amount that says you must give this amount or you're no longer a church member. But we're, what, what the Word does tell us is that we are to give cheerfully. That we are to give what we can so that the church can fulfill its mission. A good friend of mine once told me that he and his family attended a church for a while and that they received a letter in the mail. And this letter in the mail said, Dear church member, we notice that you're not giving X amount of money. Therefore, we're going to remove you from our church membership. Because this family had not given what the church thought was necessary for the family to give, the church felt it necessary to remove them from their membership. That's not giving cheerfully. That's giving under compulsion or giving grudgingly. Giving because you have to. This isn't the sort of giving that we want to see in the church. The sort of supply that we want to see from the members of the church is giving with a cheerful heart. Giving because we believe in what God is doing here and we want to see God continue that good work. Members supply. Number four, members support. If we're honest, we can look at the economy around us and understand that giving could be difficult. With the price of milk and gas and eggs, it might be difficult for you to give as much as the person next to you. Or it might be difficult even for you to give as much as what you used to. And so the primary thing that we ask from church members is not that you give financially, but that you give spiritually. That you support one another. We just finished a sermon series in the book of James. And in the final sermon in that series, we preached on prayer. In James 5, verses 13 through 18, we see this. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and earth produced its fruit. How can you support a widow who feels lonely? Pray for her. How can you support a brother or sister who's struggling so hard with sin in this season of life? Pray for them. How can you support a family who is grieving because they've recently lost a loved one? Pray for them. How can you support your pastor and your deacons and your trustees? Pray for them. So more than anything else, if you hear me say anything else that I'm asking for from church members, it's prayer. Pray for one another. Pray for each other. If you can't give a dime, who really cares at the end of the day? As long as you can pray for each other and support each other and point each other to Jesus, that's what it's all about. Pray for each other. Church members commit to praying for one another. If you can't offer anything else but prayer, don't for a moment think that you can't offer much. 
Because here we're told in verse 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Pray for one another. Members support. Number five, members study. If you've zoned out or fallen asleep, stick with me for just a few more minutes. These last two points come from the book of Titus. Turn with me to Titus. Titus chapter 1 is where we'll find our first point. Titus chapter 1. Members, study. Titus chapter 1 verse 9. In speaking on the qualifications of an elder, it says that an elder must hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. As it is my job as the pastor to prepare what I will preach and then to preach what I've prepared, it's the job of the church member to study the Word. It's the job of the pastor and the church members to study. It's the job of the whole congregation to come together and hold fast to the faithful Word. To be exhorted or built up in sound doctrine. To say, this is God's Word and I want to live by it. I don't want to live by culture standards. I don't want to be popular in the eyes of secular media. I want to be known by God. I don't care if I'm known by men. I want to be known by God. Members study. Members are faithful to God's Word. Members understand that it is God's Word that helps us. It is God's Word that is our hope. It is God's Word that is our anchor in understanding who God is. We should desire a deeper knowledge of God's Word and so members study. How is the pastor to teach the Word if the congregation has no desire to hear the Word? If every time the preacher says, open up your Bibles to such and such book and such and such chapter, the congregation says, oh, again, how can the pastor preach it? We should have a desire to learn more from the Word. We should say, I get to hear from God's Word. Not I have to, Not this is what we do every week, but I get to hear from God's Word. We should love the Word of God. Because the Word of God reveals the God of the Word. Members, study. The last thing is in Titus chapter 2. Members, serve. Look with me at Titus chapter 2 verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. And so what should a visitor who walks through the doors at Mount Carmel Baptist Church, located at 58 Dewitt Road, Campbellsville, Kentucky, when they walk in the doors of the church, what should they see in here? They should see something different. They should see something that doesn't compare to the rest of the world. They should see older men 
acting like men, behaving like men, not chasing fantasies, not chasing women, not chasing the next dollar, but men acting like men who help the younger men act like men. Not only that, but they should see older women acting like older women, dressing like older women, dressing like women rather than dressing like people who stand on the street corners. They should see older women who are reverent in behavior, not going around saying, did you see what such and such did? Did you hear about such and such? I can't believe that this person did that or said that. Not malicious gossips. And the reason for that is so that they may encourage, verse 4, the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So what we should see is not that all of the older men hang out in this clique, all of the older women hang out in this clique, and the younger men and the younger women here and here. It should be one church, one body. The older men are encouraging the younger men, the older women, the younger women. The younger women are loving their families and raising their children for the glory of God. The, the younger men are being men. They're acting like men. They're being faithful to their own household, saying, I love my wife and my children. I'm not chasing everything else the world has to offer, but I love my children because I love the God who gave them to me. When people walk through the doors of the church, they should see something different. They should see men and women, boys and girls, who are one body, one unit, encouraging each other, building each other up, serving each other. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see that there are those who work who should be in the church. There are those who are retired And there are those who are still working. Those who are retired are to teach the younger what it means to work. And those who are working are to work so that God gets all the glory. The church should be different. Church members serve. As we come to a close this morning, I would ask you to prayerfully consider where God would have you to be. If you've been attending Mount Carmel for some time now, I would encourage you that if you are excited for what God's doing here and you want to be a part of it, I would encourage you to join the church. If you agree with the church's doctrine and you agree with where the church is going and you want to support the church, you want to be a member of Mount Carmel, we encourage you to do that today. But again, going back to the first warning I issued, Before you consider joining the church in membership, ask yourself, am I a child of God? Do I know Christ under the salvation of my soul? Have I yet repented of my sins and said, I trust in you, Lord. You are my Lord and Savior. I have no hope but you. You are my anchor, the anchor for my soul. Have you done that? Ask yourself this morning, am I believing in Christ? Do I trust in Him? And if the answer to that is yes, we ask that you would consider joining us in the mission that God has placed for us here at Mount Carmel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word teaches us what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer, what it means to walk in newness of life. Father, would you help us each 
as members of your church to encourage one another, to build one another up for your namesake. Help us, Lord, to serve one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to care about what you're doing in your church. Lord, would you help us? Would you give us strength today? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.